0: Good morning, CLC family. To all the mothers out there, many thanks to you all for the loving care you sacrificially give to your families and children day in and day out. It's a challenging responsibility that's not easy and often a thankless job, but know today that you are dearly appreciated and loved, especially by your Heavenly Father who sees everything and call you His Beloved. So Happy Mother's Day. The month of May happens to be Asian American Pacific Islanders Heritage Month. During this time, the history and stories of our people and cultures are remembered and honored. The designation Asian Americans in and of itself is such a diverse label, comprising at least 50 or more different ethnicities and a misnomer to see as a single monolith. Our world, unfortunately, labels people with names that imply sameness or carry negative connotations. Names like the Yellow Peril, the Model Minority, and the Gung Flu. Many of you have heard the talk that black families have with their male children, how they will likely be treated differently at traffic stops by police officers because of the color of their skin. As Asian Americans, have you ever had that certain talk with your parents? I did. But before I go there, a little personal history. My family came to the United States from China in the mid-1800s. My father was born in California in a time when the Chinese Exclusion Act was still enforced. Looking back, I grew up in a time where forms of racism were prevalent, like redlining, school segregation, glass ceilings, racial profiling, discrimination, and violent intimidations. Come to think about it, seems like not much has changed today. My father encountered discrimination when he was told he didn't speak English well enough when applying for job promotions. Odd, since he was American-born and educated. I thought I would be an engineer like him, but he would pull me aside to have that talk, where he adamantly advised my brother and I to be doctors. Because even when people see the color of our skin, an outward characteristic I can never change when I enter the room, he told me, Those two simple letters, D-R, when people say it with my name, will give me respect from dominant culture in America that can never be denied me like it was to him. I know some of you have had that similar talk with your elders. With the recent rise in anti-Asian hate violence, where just this past week two Chinese elderly women in San Francisco were stabbed waiting at a bus stop. America is not the America we all imagined or desire. More and more Asian parents are having those difficult conversations with their children today, like my father had with me many years ago. Asian American children are seeing racism firsthand in their lives. Dr. Suzanne Song, Harvard and Stanford-trained psychiatrist, tells us these talks are opportunities to validate our children by labeling behaviors, taunting a child's physical features like the shape of their eyes or teasing them because of the color of their skin, about causing the COVID-19 virus as racist and wrong. She explains racist remarks are distinct from the normal, hurtful things that some children can say and why racist remarks are not the same. Dr. Song says, quote, There are some people who will not like us because of our skin color. That is called racism, and it's not okay, unquote. Racial bias and prejudices are not unique to our times. Matter of fact, God dealt with this relevant problem in the early church. In our current message series, based on the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul had to address this serious issue which was dividing the church. The gospel of Christ Working in tandem with the Holy Spirit changes everything about our lives and how we see and treat others. There's a familiar saying that a lot of us know. Don't judge a book by its cover, meaning you cannot have an opinion of someone merely by just looking at them, which many of us are prone to do. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians tells us of a whole new world under Jesus where differences, for example, gender Economic and social status, including race, should not divide people anymore, especially in the church. For that reason alone, Jesus died on the cross to break down those barriers that keep us apart from God and each other. The good news is God's grace through Jesus Christ reconciled racial divides like those between the Jews and Gentiles who historically hated each other. Jesus' coming is not just for salvation of individuals but also for reconciliation between entire people groups. I invite you now to follow along with me as I read today's text from Ephesians 2, verses 11-15. through So starting with verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, one new man in place of the two, so making peace. That is the word of the Lord. In this passage, I want to point out three barriers that Jesus tore down. From Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 15, the first barrier was circumcision. Jewish Christians felt Gentiles could not be Christians because they were not circumcised like themselves. But Jesus By his blood is the circumcision for the uncircumcised. Verses 11 through 13 is a reminder to all non Jews, the Gentiles, that they were once called the uncircumcised by the circumcised, the circumcised again being the Jews. Circumcision was important to them because it was a physical sign of obedience to God's command to their patriarch Abraham. In Genesis 17, verse 10, God told Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Can you relate to this requirement? Have you heard of or have you ever experienced this kind of physical bias to belong to a group, club, or organization? Could you comply or go against the flow? Back in the 60s, I was in Cub Scouting, and when some of us were considering moving on to Boy Scouts, the troop had a dress code where Scouts were required to have no long hair covering the ears or shirt collars. You have to realize, back then, long hair was in. When my friend and I heard this, we declined to cut our hair to comply with its physical requirements just to join. I was told to conform to their culture or not belong. Being rebellious, I refused to assimilate. Likewise, that was what the Jewish Christians were trying to apply to the Gentiles. In their reasoning, this traditional external requirement in the flesh was part of being near to God. This was so controversial that at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, the apostles, with the help of the Holy Spirit, discerned that the circumcision in the flesh should no longer be a requirement for followers of Jesus Christ. Instead, as stated in verse 13, Gentiles were brought near to God by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. With the spilling of his blood, Jesus is the spiritual circumcision for the uncircumcised. Now, have have you ever wondered why God required circumcision in the first place? God could have chosen cutting off a finger or burning off some skin, but why circumcision? I mean, this is a sensitive subject for us men, literally. Hint, it's connected to fertility. I already mentioned God giving this command for circumcision to Abraham in Genesis 17, which was connected to a promise made by God. Abraham was likely wondering, how was God going to multiply him when both Abraham and Sarah were like 100 years old at a time, past the normal childbearing age? While God intervened with a miracle when Sarah had a son in her senior years. And for sure, every Jew knew of this miraculous birth. Thereafter, when God gave his instruction to Abraham and his people to be fruitful and multiply, to increase in population to become a great nation, all the Israelites had a constant reminder of God's faithfulness and promise whenever an Israelite husband and wife engaged in the act of procreation. Circumcision, the cutting off of the skin of a man's private part, was a visible reminder that the nation of Israel owed its existence to God, who created them out of nothing, starting with the miracle conception of Isaac, Abraham's son with Sarah. In the New Testament, membership in God's family is circumcision neutral. Yet belonging to God's family still requires a sacrifice to pay for the penalty of sin. And circumcision, in a way, could symbolize that purpose, the dying of living flesh. Fortunately for us, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you, being Gentiles or non-Jews, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Today, we are grateful for God's grace through His Son Jesus, who is metaphorically the circumcision for the uncircumcised. Jesus, dying in the flesh on the cross, resurrected later, broke down the barrier of circumcision. And that's good news. The second barrier Paul addressed was the Jewish Christians still believed Gentile Christians were unclean because they did not practice Mosaic law and customs, therefore not worthy to be included in the church. My second point to counter this barrier, Jesus abolished the law that excluded the unclean. And that's exactly what's written in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he, Jesus, might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The Jewish law, which can be found in the book of Leviticus, spelled out for the Jewish people what and what not to do. To know the standard of good and pure. To be set apart for the purposes of God. More importantly, the ultimate intent of the laws and ordinances was to point out mankind's sinfulness. But Jewish pridefulness took this to a level not intended by God. The Jews added rules and traditions that became nitpicky and ridiculous, more to create a system of elitism and exclusion. That practicing Jewish customs alone made them holy justifying in their minds that obeying the rules was good enough to make them right with God. As long as they looked good on the outside, the heart and thoughts on the inside did not matter. And some Jewish Christians had expectations that non-Jews would practice the law like them. Yet this was wrong thinking and unreasonable, according to Paul. Honestly speaking, we all fall short of the holiness of God. That is why Jesus fulfilled the law that all people are no longer judged by the law, but saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. No imperfect person can follow the rules perfectly all the time. We eventually make mistakes. Only a perfect Jesus can accomplish that on our behalf. And he did and does. It is not what we do, but what Jesus has already done. Jesus tore down the barrier of the law with his blood. Something for all of us in the church to think about. Do we as a church have rules and laws that exclude people? Do we create barriers that prevent people to come and know Jesus? If so, how can we change? Lastly, Paul addressed the barrier of hostility. He had to remind the church that Jesus came to unite all the races into one with Him. My final point. Jesus is our peace that brings wholeness to the world. And we see this in verses 14 and 15. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And verse 15 says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself One new man in place of the two, seeking peace. When a word is repeated, we need to pay attention. Peace is mentioned twice in these two verses, that Jesus is our peace. In the original Greek, the word peace is irene, which is where we get the name Irene. The word in this context meant more than national tranquility, harmony, and peace between individuals. Looking in the Hebrew language, a common Jewish greeting, shalom, happens to mean peace. The Hebrew word for peace is more than the absence of war, but implies completeness and wholeness. If Jesus is peace, as stated by verse 14, and peace implies wholeness, then Jesus equals wholeness. God's big plan is to bring back wholeness to His creation that has been broken apart by sin and sending His Son Jesus to die on a cross was God's grace to restore His relationship with all people in the world. Without Jesus, we would not be complete or whole. We would not have peace. A figurative whole in each one of us would be empty until we have Jesus fill that missing part. When we receive Jesus, we are restored to completeness, which includes being back into the family of God together. Not just as individuals, but also as races. Return to wholeness is when all races are united and reconciled as one. That is irene. That is shalom. That is peace. From verse 14, Jesus broke down through his flesh the wall of hostility between races. Not only between people, but also the wall of hostility between man and God. When Jesus was crucified, he spoke, It is done. The veil in the temple was forever torn into two. The veil that separated man from God. My take home point is this God's grace through Jesus brings wholeness once again to God's creation, broken apart by sin, including racial division that's reconciled by the blood of Jesus. So, how do we apply this to ourselves? In response to this passage as followers of Jesus, how are we to think and live differently? How are we to see and treat others in this world where we are supposed to represent Jesus? First, with great humility, begin by confessing we all have some sort of bias and prejudices, misconceptions and assumptions that divide us from other people different from us, in particular, specifically based on skin color. And make efforts to intentionally change any harmful attitudes that create barriers between you and others. Then work to have proximity with a more diverse group of people in your life. Learn through friendships with those different from yourself. Seek out opportunities to intentionally and proactively meet folks that are from a different culture. Hear their stories. In this way, maybe we can overcome the bias and prejudices we all have for people different from ourselves with the goal to come to an understanding we are not better than others but have more in common than differences. For example, I I have been blessed with a group that I was invited to be a part of by a pastor friend in the aftermath of the George Floyd murder last year. At our recent virtual church retreat, some of you got to meet my friends in my support group that we call The Fish Tank. Our cohort comprised of blacks, white, and Asians, has become a safe place for us to freely talk, not just limited to racial justice and reconciliation, but anything and everything that is on our minds. We are learning from each other through our stories, our perspectives, our knowledge. Our bias and preconceptions are broken down. Now, I'm not naive to think that racism is going to end anytime soon, or even in my lifetime, or the next generation. Realistically, probably not until our Lord Jesus returns again to establish forever a new creation. My hope, however, is that the holding space for others like in my cohort will be done by more and more people in our church so that the work of tearing down barriers will be commonplace at CLC and seen outside of the church, that slowly progress towards unity can be made. Earlier I shared this idiom, Don't judge a book by its cover. There was this one time when a group of us were prayer walking in West Oakland. We saw a lot of young, able-bodied African American men standing on street corners mid-morning, mid-week. One person in our group made the comment, Why aren't they working or looking for jobs? I turned to that person and said, How do you know they haven't tried a bunch of times? and no one wants to hire them because they're black. In his I Have a Dream speech, Martin Luther King Jr. had this famous line, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Like one of my black friends in my fish tank says, I am black, and when I step outside my home, I just want to be treated equally by others, not any more or less. First Samuel 16, verse 7, says something similar. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Apostle Paul tells the church, made up of both Jews and non-Jews, God does not cancel out their identities, but God sees everyone as one. God created and celebrates diversity in His people. And all are welcome into His family. All people becoming one through Jesus. We cannot overcome hostility in our hearts on our own, but only by the grace of God, the price paid by Jesus, and the help of the Holy Spirit. And that is good news. Some of you may not have made that decision to follow Jesus yet. If you have no peace, if you feel like you have a hole in your heart, I invite you to bring Jesus into your life to have wholeness. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God's grace through Jesus brings wholeness once again to God's creation broken apart by sin, including racial division that's reconciled by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is a barrier breaker. We rejoice in that, trust in that, and may we do likewise. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your gift of grace. Through your Son, Jesus, you gave Him up on the cross so that the barrier between us and you has been overcome. Continue to help us, guide us, to do the hard inner work so that our hearts will be like yours, so that our exterior truly reflects the interior. Although you created us all to be different and we celebrate that diversity, we at the same time strive to break down those walls that are caused by those same differences to be one in Christ. Make us bear your breakers like Jesus. All glory and praise to you. Amen. Back to you, Caitlin.